1: this hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to
2: Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, is the 5th day of December 2017. Before I talk more about today's show, I do want to remind you that I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that letter by going to miningstocks.com. MiningStocks.com, or you can call our office in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. I would also encourage you to consider subscribing to my friend Chen Lin's letter uh, by going to ChenPicks.com. Chen has done exceptionally well um, for his investors and for his family as, as an investor, uh, and uh, well, we've talked about Chen in the past on this show, and we're delighted to tell you that Chen will actually be with us for a few minutes today to talk about a stock that he uh, he suggests will rival what Novo Resources did this year. Uh, but this is in the oil and gas uh, sector. So Chen will be with me just momentarily. So you want to stick around and hear what he has to say. I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice of America Business Channel. Also, continue sending your questions, criticisms, comments, praises, along to Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, taylor at gmail.com. Our sponsors for today's show, we want to thank them for making this show economically viable. They are New Range Gold Corp, Bonterra Resources, Klondike Gold Corp, RN Resources, Novo Resources, and Genesis Metals Corp. I've titled today's show, Is Gold Building a Base for Something Big? Jeff Clark visits for the first time this week, and Brian Groves of uh, Genesis Metals will be here to talk about that company's progress in uh, their project in uh, Quebec. And, uh, well, Michael Oliver is not here today. He's got to go to jury duty, but we do have a surprise guest, uh, Chen Lin, as I just mentioned, will be with us. Uh, and uh, he'll be with us momentarily, just in a, in a couple more comments that I have to make before we get to Chen. You know, global demand for physical gold and from both the private sector and the central banks is increasing, while the same at the same time production is getting more and more difficult from the mines. With those fundamentals in place, what could possibly stop 2018 from being an even better year for gold than, 200, than 2017 has been? Well, Jeff Clark will opine on that, as well as other related uh, issues, and Jeff will be with me at about a half past the hour. And after our first commercial break, Brian Groves will return uh, to update us on the progress made by Genesis Metals on the Chevy a gold exploration project in Quebec. And um, things are looking really quite good despite the fact that the t- this tax loss selling season has not been kind to his shares. Well, that could also provide an opportunity if you see value with uh, at the Chevy project, as I do. Uh, but now, Chen Lin is with us, um, so let's hear what he has to say. Thanks for joining me, Chen. Thank you, Dave. You know, uh, you told me, you sent you sent an email out to your subscribers last week, you said that Valera Energy Inc., uh, has a chance to rival the gains made by Novo Resources this year. And certainly, it's been doing very, very well. I think you were recommending this stock some time ago, but just about a, maybe a week or two ago, you put out an urgent missive to your subscribers, telling them to get, on the, to get on the move because this thing was going to take off. I should tell our listeners before you comment on that, Chen, that uh, Valera Energy trades in Toronto under the symbol VLE, and you can buy it in the U.S. under the symbol PNWRF. PNWRF, I saw this morning selling at about $2.81 in Canadian money, 73.1 million shares outstanding, gives it a market cap around uh, $205 million Canadian. Uh, You, I think uh, something like 80 million fully diluted shares. Well, if I've got that right, Chen, uh, what can you tell us about this company and, and its prospects? Because you're very obviously very, very excited about it. Uh, yeah, just give us the story. What's it all about?
3: Yeah, thank you Jay. Um glad to be here. So basically, this is a Turkish uh, fracking play. Okay. The natural gas fracking. I've been investing in Turkey. You know, 10 years ago, I've invested in the They're trying to get natural gas in Turkey. You know, we know Turkey import natural gas from Russia. And mm-hmm. then Turkey also pipelines through Europe. So their natural gas is much higher than United States. Uh, recently, it was $7 MCF, right? natural wow. gas is very local. Now, in the U.S., it's just $2, $3. Turkey right now is $7. Probably going higher in the winter. And then there's places in China, I just saw a report, is up to $40 per MCF. Okay, it's Ooh, very different. Boy. It's very local. So, uh, for, for Turkey if, or in, and the East European, I mean, other companies there, if they fund natural gas, they, would, they can sell all the gas they can because they, not only for domestic consumption, but also help European go through the winter, right? sometimes cold winter, Russian, cut off the, the natural gas or reduce the natural gas supply. Anyway, I've been uh, watching that for over 10 years. I, I know the story for a pretty long time. Uh, they, they're they about to drill uh, this uh, well that they with their partner, oil. The agreement was signed uh, last year, and then they did the seismic. Everything looked good, but the fracking is, until you frack it, uh, you, you don't know how good it is. Right, so mm-hmm. I was anxiously waiting for the fracking results. About two weeks ago, uh, I sent a, a letter to recommend my subscriber to buy it. It, it came on the 22nd. Uh, I think it's a very, at that time, not knowing the results, I feel it's a very good risk-reward because the stock was trading at about 70 cents. Um, if they fail, they likely go to 30 cents. But if it's reward, if it's successful reward is many, many, many fold. Yeah. So, uh, this came out on 22nd, and the stock went up like 20% on that day. I mean, at the end of the day, it closed up uh, 15%. could be my subscriber buying, but if you notice, there's a block trade by Quamart, one million uh-huh. share on that day. So, Quamart uh, just put up some light on that. Quamart CEO owns more than 10% of Alara and... Walmart research report actually it's the best on um, Valera. If you read all the research report, Except, mm-hmm. besides my, my friend Malcolm Shore, I have a very good friend. He, his name is Malcolm Shore. He used to be a geologist in the oil industry, and he knows um, you know the oil things inside out. So I, we have been working together on Valera for a long time. He also likes Pine I Hope we talk a little bit at the end. But anyway, mm-hmm. to make long story short, this this uh, this news supposed results supposed to come in February. So and then after five days after, I came out with a newsletter in the morning uh, on the twenty seventh, about eight o'clock in the morning, the news came out. They have results. I was like, wow, what, what, why is that? I mean, it's like way ahead of uh, uh-huh. what we expected. So I got on the phone with uh, CEO Jim McFarlane and said. So, why do you release it? You're supposed to release in February, and I was told it was so important it become material to the company that they have mm-hmm. to release it. Mm-hmm. So that's why the kind of explanation. But then that what it means is you, for investor you have opportunity just to buy as many shares you can, no matter how high it go, because it, because you, you need to be ahead of. All the other analysts, all the other investors, you need to get in, right? So it opened at 91 cents. I remember I was buying and i in the meantime I buy, I was writing my letter. Letter came out around noon time. I said, you know, this is a, you know, really, really good opportunity. Everybody should, should get it. I see at least three to five dollars on the stock. And actually yesterday it hit three dollars just in, in one week. So it has been amazing ride, but. Looking forward, uh, the star has a lot more room to go, uh, because, uh, this, this is a big basin, right? About a hundred, uh, square kilometers. Uh, you're looking at, they won't total, you know, rights, rights about 30% about this area. And if you calculate using the traditional fracking parameter in North America, you're talking about trillions of, um, cubic feet recoverable natural gas just on this. And then mm-hmm. they also have very high uh, condensate. You know, condensate even have a premium. It's trading a premium to, to, to oil. Mm. So, so all these, if successful, it point to billions of billions of dollars uh, of valuation. Okay, I, I recommend uh, you know you have time to read through uh, my friend Malcolm Malcolm Shores' uh, blog, and he has a very detailed explanation on this. And, uh, you know, the, right now, the, as you said, the market cap about 200 million Canadians. Mm-hmm. Right. We are talking about billions of US, right? <laughs> if successful, of course. But with, with the previous results, the chance of success, you know, just jumped from maybe less than 50%. Now, probably we're looking at 80, 90% chance of success, right? Of success.
2: All right. Chen, are they making money now? Does the company make money?
3: No, they are not making money. They probably will raise money next year. Uh, mm-hmm. We think it's unlikely to raise right now uh, because of different reasons, because they have a reserve report going to come out. So mm-hmm. in Q1 reserve report, after that, they probably will raise money or do IPO in London or somewhere else you know, around the world.
2: Hmm. All right, so any drivers? I guess there would be news, more, more exploration results coming out, more, more uh, fracking results.
3: Yes, suppose the second test result, second frag test result, should come around this week, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. so we will get a better understanding. And then there will be more that they committed, two more frack results. I expect probably all the results will come out either this month, if not early next month, and then they compile everything together to a resource report. That's a very important driver because Falcon stock quadrupled on the uh, on the resource report. So that opened people's eyes see how big this, uh, the whole resource is. That's very important. The company guiding is in Q1. So I'm hoping it will be early part of Q1. Uh, that will be the, the ultimate, the big punch. And then with that report, they could raise money or they could do IPO. There's many ways to do to go.
2: All right, Chen, just to, with a minute and a half left here, you have made some comparisons with Pan-Orient Energy. Could you comment very briefly on that?
3: How you no, see I the mean, two lines? Another stock I really like is is powering. I've been holding that for six, seven years. And the stock, the difference with that is, uh, it's a similar size. Okay, one hundred square uh, kilometer. And the powering fifty percent, and then the other Reposol, which is one of the largest uh, company oil company in the world in Spain, based in Spain. That's fifty percent. It's a conventional versus a unconventional, and then they're looking like the oil and gas versus the gas and condensing. So. They will drill next summer, so my my recommendation to my subscriber was I look at what can happen to Valera, okay? Uh, That's a uh, potentially can happen to Panarin if the for the chance of succeed, right? They they have a very good indication from this year's drilling, so next year we'll see. Uh, but the, the difference is Panarin is very tight, much tighter share structure that doesn't need to raise any capital. So think about that if it hit there's no chance to chase. Well, actually, but Larry, we had a chance to chase and I told my mm-hmm. subscriber to chase last week.
2: Yeah, excellent. Well, good on you. Thanks, uh, Chen, for sharing that with us. We are out of time. We'll have to have you back sometime very soon again for uh, an update on this one and some of the other exciting things you're looking at. Thanks so Thank much you, for being with us. Well, folks, uh, we do have to go to our first break now, but don't go away, because Brian Groves is gonna be with us to tell us about Gen- uh, Gen- Genesis Metals Corp and uh, the progress that they're making on the Chevier project in Quebec. It is an exciting story, I think, especially at its current share price. So don't go away, we'll be right back with Brian Groves.
3: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Foreign Resources is a Canadian-based
4: gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per tonne. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources,
3: which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million.
5: New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship, Pamlico Gold Project, located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest-grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per tonne. Well-financed with no debt. New ranges unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again, Brian Groves. He is the CEO and a director of Genesis Metals Corp. He's had an extensive experience over 30 years as an exploration geologist in Australia and Canada, and he has been involved in looking for all sorts of minerals, including coal, gold, diamonds, base metals. He was with uh, major mining companies uh, through his younger years, AMAX, Noranda, and Placer Dome, for example. Hard to get to find companies that are more stellar than those. Uh, since then, since 2003, he's been uh, involved with uh, as a chief executive officer of two uh, Canadian venture exchange listed exploration companies. And uh, really, I think the shareholders of Genesis Metals are well served by his presence there. Thanks for joining me again, Brian. It's really good to have you with me.
0: Thanks uh, very much, Jay, for having me on your show again. I'm very happy to be
2: here. Always good to have you. I especially like to talk to people who have a company that's worth a lot more than the market indicates, which I think is the case in Genesis Metals. That's why I own the stock and why it's in my newsletter. I should tell our listeners that uh, your your company trades uh, in Toronto under the symbol GIS, and you can buy it in the States, as I have, over the mar- over the counter market, GGISF. 71.8 million shares out in, in U.S. money this morning, anyway, when I looked, it was a, a mere seven cents, giving it a market cap in U.S. money of $5 million. I think that's a remarkably low uh, market cap for, with so much going on. Uh, so that's what we want to ask you about. Um, now, you, uh, I think um, I purchased the stock. I think we recommended it. Actually, I purchased it at 12.5 cents. I mentioned it's seven cents, so I'm underwater by quite a bit, but I'm not selling. Um, you, Brian, talk to us a little bit about your Chevier project up there in in Quebec. Uh, you do have a 43101 resource on it, uh, about 300,000 ounces, but I mean, it's very easy, I think, to see potential for a lot more than that. Um, talk to us a little bit. Just give us an overview of the project for those that may not be familiar. Sure, very happy to do so. Um,
0: yeah, Chevrier is. Uh, it's actually in the uh, extreme eastern end of the what's called the Abitibi Greenstone Belt the the big belt that runs through Ontario and Quebec that has hosted in excess of 170 million ounces of production of gold production Uh, over the years. Uh, so we are close to a town called Shubugamu, a bit of a tongue twister. Uh, but it has, uh, the project has excellent infrastructure. We're approximately 35 kilometers, about 25 miles south of the town of Shubugamu. Uh, it's a a small town, but it's well serviced by air connections, daily air connections with uh, the city of Montreal. Uh, so it's a very easy uh, commute to get to the property and you can be on the project within about 20 minutes of getting off the plane at the airport, a local airport. Mm. Um, it's a gold project. It's seen uh, various iterations of exploration over the years with some quite quite uh, well-known names such as Inmet, which is uh, uh, maybe well-known to some of your listeners mm-hmm. as uh, Falconbridge Copper. Uh, it sure. was a mid-tier blue-chip um they're really a base metal producer, but they, they, uh, they did several campaigns of work on the Chevrier and uh, uh, various historic resource estimates were calculated. Uh, it was those resource estimates which attracted us to the property. Um, you, you did mention that uh, there is a 43-101 compliant uh, resource estimate. That was completed in 2010. And it, for the main zone, it, it came up with about 300,000 ounces. It's just under two grams uh, per tonne. Um, many of the historical resource estimates were much larger than that. And uh, again, uh, a lot of the work that we're doing on Chevrier is, is really aimed at um, validating those historic data, so we can use uh, a lot of the old drill data in an updated resource estimate. Uh, and our current timeline is uh, we we plan to have that resource update completed by mid 2018. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's, that's yeah. The So timeline. let me
2: ask you, let me ask you, Brian, uh, the 300,000 ounces is the current. Compliant resources. That you said that's from the main zone, right? And is there a potential to expand that in the main zone?
0: Yeah, we, we uh, Jay, we see the opportunity really as being, you know, coming up with a better understanding of what contra- controls the gold distribution. Uh, we, we think the 2010 report may have been somewhat conservative, so hence we we are looking at the geological model that was used to arrive at that that uh, number in 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our geologists are busily relogging core, developing geological models and whatnot to better understand grade distribution, and hence look for areas where we. Could potentially uh, add to uh, the known mineralized envelope what what we do know about the main zone at the present time is that it's it 's a fairly large mineralized envelope it 's about one point two kilometers long uh, up to about two hundred meters wide, and uh, it 's uh, it does come to surface, so it, it does present the opportunity of potentially an open pitable development at some stage in the future, which is a real uh, real advantage. Sure. Um, given the uh, overall grade pro- profile of, of somewhere around 2 grams, um, having that uh, potential for open pit uh, uh, development is, is clearly uh, advantageous. Um, we also have a, a second zone called the South Zone, which is about one kilometer south of the main zone, and uh, it's had very little drilling by comparison to the uh, to the main zone. Um, and just for context, main zone, we we found. Uh, we discovered about 70,000 meters of historic core in very good condition, very well documented. Uh, so a lot of the work that we've done since we acquired the project in uh, the first quarter of uh, 2016 has been aimed at, at just updating the database, you know, taking paper copies of uh, drill logs and assay records, entering them into a, uh, an updated digital database to allow geological modeling. And that, uh, that takes a lot of time. Um, and the other part of the process, and hence why we're talking about a mid-2018 resource estimate, is, is that validation process also has to meet the regulatory oversight in terms of both DSX mm-hmm. and the respective security commissions. So, you know, we have to be diligent at how we, uh, the work we're doing, uh, you know, in terms of uh, bringing those old historic data into a, uh, into a compliant uh, uh, database to be used for an updated resource.
2: I understand um, that actually InMet did some work on that south zone, perhaps. And uh, if, I, if I heard you right, or if I, I don't know if it was you or somebody, I, I have the impression that there's something like two, potentially two times as much tonnage there with similar grade as to what you have in the main zone. Do I have that right?
0: That's correct. Potentially. Yes. The 2000 The 2010 report actually quantified... The South Zone as a they, they they felt the drill spacing was too uh, too wide to allow them mm-hmm. to calculate an inferred resource, but they called it a mineral inventory and it 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 it, it was it, it quantifies as, a, as an amount of gold that's roughly twice what the, uh, what the main zone was. So we see that as an area that we will be focusing on in 2018 as well. Um, it's uh, part of the deposit. The south zone does lie under a shallow lake, but we have engineered uh, drilling uh, setups that would allow us to drill the south zone from the shoreline uh, with a minimal increase in drill meterage, which is a real, real, adva- you know, really advantageous, sure. uh, given, given some of the uh, slip sort of compliance and and uh, regulatory uh, requirements that must be met for drilling on ice at the present time. You know, you're we always concerned about spillage of oil and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. this this mitigates a lot of the uh, concerns that would be involved in drilling on the ice, and it also allows us the flexibility of drilling the south zone at any time during the year. So we're not restricted to a winter drill program
2: you 've completed your Phase one drill program, five thousand uh, meters. I believe uh, What have you learned from that?
0: That uh, five thousand meters was roughly evenly split between testing new targets away from the main and the south zone areas, uh, but also uh, applying around about twenty five hundred meters into the into the main zone to start that validation process that I referred to earlier. So that validation process is a combination of drilling new holes into the mineralized area, uh, either as twin holes, uh, that is holes very close to existing historic holes, or between um, existing uh, historic holes, uh, that then allows a resource modeling group, uh, you know, an independent consulting group to validate those data. Um, we're uh, also uh, tested some, some um, as I said, some targets well away from the main zone. Uh, they weren't as successful as we had hoped. We did, uh, we did however uh, uh, discover a new zone of mineralization around about 3 to 4 kilometers north of the main zone in an area mm-hmm. that had uh, seen little if any exploration work. So, I think the old adage about Projects, historic projects being well-drilled but poorly explored rings true in this case. Um, uh, there's been lots of drilling on Chevrier, but it is a very large property package in excess of 120 square kilometers. Wow. Uh, so we, we still have... Uh, and, and the known zones of mineralization probably comprise less than... of that physical area of 120 square kilometers. So still lots of potential, but um, our main focus is to, as I said, do sufficient work on the main zone to allow us to validate the historic data and use it for an updated resource.
2: Brian, what do you think, um, you're an exploration company, I don't think there's any intention of being a producer, but what do you think you need in terms of ounces to get, say, a mid-tier producer interested or a major company interested, would two million ounces uh, do it potentially for a mid-tier and I, I five think, million for a major?
0: Um, I think uh, uh, I, I think our uh, you know I think the target audience, if I can use that term, would be uh, junior producers to mid-tier producers, mm-hmm. um, those for which uh, they're probably less concerned about annual production ounces as the operating margin and the profit margin per ounce. So um, I I think in our case, if we can get to a threshold uh, that's one to 1.5 million ounces uh, Mm -hmm. in, you know, on the, uh, you know, potentially either combined or standalone within the main zone, I think that may, may attract the attention of a, of a junior producer or a mid-tier producer. Uh, We see, Lots of advantages in terms of the cost base where we are. We have a very skilled workforce. Uh, the scale of the project would mean that we would have minimal exposure to U.S. dollar exchange risk, and, and that mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the you know, I'm sure all your listeners are quite well aware of the gyrations of gold price in the U.S. Uh, denominated in U.S. dollars. But when you're you the Canadian dollar gold price, it has stayed fairly flat. So making long-term investment decisions has would be would be quite possible in that regard. The scale of the property and the project would be. Um, not not exposing it to large capital items that would be sourced from the U.S. So we see a fairly attractive operating cost base. Uh, again, high-voltage you know, high power lines run transect the property. Uh, we have uh, gravel road access within, as I said, 20 to 25 minutes of, a, of a, an airport close to a town with a skilled workforce. So we see lots of advantages in that regard. So I, I think that would be the threshold uh, that we would be hopefully achieving and targeting you know that, that that group of companies producing companies as potential suitors so.
2: well certainly as you move towards those those levels it's hard to see a seven cent stock uh then i, I would say <laughs> you you so, have uh, you have some some pretty interesting some pretty uh, essential shareholders too i think would you care to just with a few minutes left uh, tell us who some of your major shareholders are
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, certainly, Jay. We, uh, we're we very fortunate. We closed a $4 million Canadian financing in June of this year, and we managed to attract uh, a Cisco mining, uh, Eric Sprott personally, uh, U.S. global investors, Gold 2000, and uh, a, a, a fund out of Vancouver as well. And uh, we're very fortunate to attract the, the quality of shareholders to our story, um, yeah, we, we, we have watched the stock price, it's tax loss selling time, as I think you may have alluded to in, in you know, in, in many, many times in your, your articles, and, and we are unfortunately not immune to that, uh, the whole sector uh has has experienced some downward pressure on their stock prices as a consequence we see that, see it as a very temporary thing that uh, come january with the uh, the abatement in tax loss selling as as the year end approaches uh will be a different situation um and we you know we are closing in on the completion of the second phase of drilling, another 5,000 meters as well. Uh, we expect uh, that drilling to be completed this week uh, and again with assays due to be released next uh, next month. Uh, so I think that Will present another catalyst to uh, perhaps uh, bring some life back into the stock, and uh, again with the long-standing, you know, with the long-long li- uh, long view points that most of our uh, significant new shareholders have, uh, then you know, I think that will be great support as we go forward.
2: Brian, just real quickly now, because uh, we're out of time, you raised four million dollars in June. Will that take you through how far?
0: Uh, that will allow us to complete this, the 10,000 meter program, the two phases okay. totaling 10,000 meters. Uh, we will probably exit, uh, 2000 and, uh, 17 with approximately $1.3 million in the treasury. Um, and then, as I said, with the luxury now knowing that we can drill the South Zone anytime during Q1 or Q2 next year, we're not restricted to, uh, you know, to a, a winter program that would uh, potentially deplete the reserve, the, uh, the treasury very quickly. Uh, we do have some flexibility in, in terms of where we are with our cash position.
2: All right. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for the update, Brian. Um, Look forward to keeping up with your story and and a much higher share price in 2018.
0: I agree with you, but thanks very much, Jay, for having me.
2: You bet. Well, okay, folks, we do have to go to commercial break, but don't go away because Jeff Clark will be with us for the first time. He's with uh, goldsilver.com. He has a pretty bullish outlook, it seems, on gold, so uh, stick around to hear what Jeff has to say. We'll be right back.
3: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
5: noble resources corp trades on the otcqx under the symbol nsrpf and on the tsx venture exchange under nvo its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of western australia where they are currently drilling and trenching their purdy's reward project In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow klondikegoldcorp.com. Bonterra Resources, a Canadian exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade Gladiator Gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. In 2017, Bonterra raised $40 million and attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott Kinross, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based VanEck Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource model in 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000-plus meters of drilling where the dimensions of the Gladiator gold deposit has been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under B-O-N-X-F.
2: Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Jeff Clark. Uh, Jeff is with uh, GoldSilver.com, and uh, well, he's an accomplished analyst, author, and speaker. Jeff uh, is a globally recognized authority on precious metals. He's the son of an award winning gold panner with family owned mining claims in California, Arizona, and Nevada, and he has deep roots uh, in the industry, obviously. Uh, a, an active investor with a love of writing, he uh, eventually became a mining industry analyst, including ten years as a senior editor uh, for the uh, publication Big Gold. Jeff has uh, been a regular conference speaker. He's spoken at the Cambridge House, the Sprout Resources events, the Silver Summit, and many others. And he currently serves on the board of uh, at Strategic Wealth Preservation. It's a bullion storage facility in Grand Cayman and provides analysis and market commentary uh, for goldsilver.com. Jeff, it's really good to have you with me. Thanks for joining me today. Jay, it's great to be with you. Good to, good to have you on for the first time, uh, and especially uh, maybe you're going to bring some, some holiday cheer here for those of us gold bugs, because it seems <laughs> from some of what I've read of your remarks recently, you, you are quite bullish on gold. Now, I know I tend to be bullish on gold all the time. Uh, to a fault, because I am a gold bug. I believe that gold is money. It is the, the you know it res- it it preserves wealth, and I think that especially in an era of, of zero interest rates, it's best to trade in those increasingly worthless paper units for something of value. Uh, so I I tend to not be as clever as I should be sometimes in the downturns, and I'm always there for the upturns. But sometimes I miss those horrendous corrections that, well, if you had the insight to sell at the top and buy somewhere closer to the bottom, you'd be an awful lot better off. But you're telling me, if I understand what you've been writing, you're pretty bullish on things right now, right?
4: I am bullish. And this all started, Jay, when, uh, you know, a lot of headlines were, uh, you know, coin demand at five-year lows and Uh, Physical demand, you know, down since uh, crypto's up, and physical demand down since Trump's been elected. And, you know, I see all those headlines, but I was Mm -hmm. also reading a lot of other headlines, uh, sort of behind the scenes types of reports, uh, that maybe a lot of the public wasn't seeing. And I realized that, wow, there's something else going on here, and yes, it has made me remain very bullish on gold and silver, uh, to the point where I think that they are going to be the next big bubble uh, after cryptos. Um, so I wrote this article, you know, and, and put all these headlines together, and just reading through them all just uh, it, is really uh, quite astounding because it's really uh, it has it really has a bullish message.
2: Yeah, so, so that's what I for. Oh, sorry. You no, know, so that's what I want to talk to you about. Uh, your article written on November seventeenth, titled. Ah, uh, these headlines say gold is building a base for something big. Uh, so, I mean, you 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 outline where the demand is coming from. It's, uh, you know, and and I'd like to talk to you about that global physical demand, for example. You talk about that. Can you, t- would just just tell us a little bit where where what parts of the world are we seeing a lot of demand for gold right now?
4: Well, basically, uh, everywhere except here in North America. <laughs> so you do have some mints uh, in Australia, such as Perth, that are seeing uh, lower demand as well. But uh, Chinese coin and bar demand, for example, uh, just had its second highest volume on record last quarter, meaning Q3 ever. Mm-hmm. Uh mm. Coin and bar demand in Turkey is three times higher than it was last year. The central bank in Turkey has bought so much gold in their reserves that this year they will set a record. They probably already have, but as of October, uh, it was matching the, the highest on record. It was just below it. It's, it's, by the end of the year, they'll have bought more gold for their reserves than any other year in history. Hmm. South Korea demand has jumped central bank demand beyond just turkey has also jumped in many other countries so uh you know that's a that's a different message than the one that we hear from you know the typical bloomberg article and i'm not picking on them but it says you know coin uh, demand in north america is down it is but there's obviously something else happening in terms of demand and that's just the physical demand on the you know on the paper side there's actually uh ETF holdings globally for gold are up 17% year-to-date, and the price is only up 10%, maybe 9%, as you and I talked today. So mm-hmm. clearly, there's a lot of buying going on by parties other than just the typical gold bug in North America that's trying to accumulate ounces.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, it would seem so. Um, central bank demand... Well, I'd like to ask you where where you think uh, you know why some of these things are happening. But let's talk a, a little bit about central bank demand. Which which central banks in particular are really are really accumulating on a lot of gold?
4: Well, I think your audience probably knows uh, that, and that you know Russia's been just hoarding gold like crazy. Uh, Turkey, uh, like I mentioned, is setting records in terms of how much gold they're buying for their reserves. Uh, we don't know how much China is buying, and some of their official reports show that you know their buying is basically flat in terms of central bank buying, but uh, I agree with Jim Rickards on that. I think it's it's probably a lot higher than what's being officially uh, reported. Some of the Stan countries, if you will, have been yeah. buying a lot of gold. Um, Indonesia, Mongolia, Qatar, Um, South Korea is buying a lot of gold. Um, And this is just central bank demand. So we're just talking about how much uh, central bankers in those countries see the need to continue to denominate a portion, if not a large portion, of their reserves in physical bullion.
2: But this would be physical demand, would it not? Or movement from one central bank to the next, perhaps.
4: And again, the point I was trying to make with this headline was that uh, the headlines that you're uh, seeing about you know low demand for uh, gold eagles in America, well, yeah, it is down, but that's just a very small part of the market. Uh, North America is only nine percent of the physical demand market globally, so you know what happens here has much less of an impact on global demand than what's happening elsewhere.
2: How much do you think might be? I mean, certainly there's a lot of other places to put your money and get rich faster at the moment than than gold. It's cer- cer- from a from a U.S. point of view, anyway. The equity markets are on a tear. Uh, never mind uh, Bit- Bitcoin and and some of the you know blockchain instruments are just going nuts. Uh, certainly, the people that are looking to get rich quick would be um, you know the momentum traders would be going with the things that are. That are working, right? Is that part of the reason that demand is so low in the U.S.? Uh, do you yeah, think?
4: I, I mean, I'm asked this all the time. You know, when is gold going to take off? How much longer do we have to just stay here in the doldrums? You know, and I, I think the answer is, uh, in general terms, well, as long as the stock market continues to go up, as, as long as. Uh, there's no uh, blow up geopolitically as long as you know cryptos continue to make all the headlines and their prices continue to go higher and higher. Uh, as long as there's no recession and or, or any other type of crisis, then uh, gold probably is going to remain dormant. Uh, but none of those things are going to last forever. Uh, in fact, like I said, I think gold is going to be gold and silver are going to be the next. Uh, big bubble because of all the things that are out there. Um, You know, just in preparation for this interview, um, I started looking at other headlines, and let me just tell you just a few of them. Sure. Uh, So this is a quote from Janet Yellen. She's the top central banker in the United States. She said, I would simply say that I'm very worried about the sustainability of the U.S. debt trajectory. It's the type of thing that, and again, this is Janet Yellen saying this. Yeah. It's the type of thing that should keep people awake at night, well, wow, any discerning investor uh, you know should would hear that from their central banker, the top person who would know better arguably than anybody else, maybe I should make some you know preparations for uh you know some kind of fall up there, and maybe those preparations should involve some gold, you know. Uh, here's yeah, I'm wondering, uh, the I'm NATO wondering, Supreme how, Allied Commander. Our report shows a higher risk of major interstate war now than at any time since 2003. We see a considerable increase in the risk of a major interstate conflict. Yeah. You know, wh- what asset does well in that? The Case-Shiller oh. National Home Price Index has surpassed the July 2006 housing bubble by almost <laughs> 6%. We all <laughs> know what happened after that. Uh, no. Goldman Sachs, the global market cap of stocks is about to hit $100 trillion. A bull market of this length, nearly nine years, was last seen just before the Great Depression. The bull market and everything is about to come to an end, and we face either a slow pain or a fast pain in the equity markets. Uh, here's uh, one from Jeff Christian of CPM Group, who, by the way, is very conservative and not prone to making you know, outlandish or even bold statements. The risks of financial problems today are greater than they have ever been at any time since World War II, including the period of Uh, 2008-2009. I I mean, Jay, I could keep going on. Those are all just in the past seven
2: days. Yeah, and those are people that are pretty mainstream people that aren't prone to to outlandish statements. But I have to wonder if Janet Yellen might not be um, talking a little bit more like that now that she's leaving. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <Anyway,
3: laughs> I didn't was, hear her uh, make such.
2: The, yeah, when she right. was running, you know, when she, I she's 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 going to be leaving. So maybe you know, she's sort of being a bit more honest now about things.
4: Um, That's exactly but, my reaction. You know, now that she is leaving, well, maybe she can be a little bit more honest in her. Uh, statement.
2: So yeah, we moving. certainly saw that with Greenspan. Uh, he, you know, after he left, he was uh, he's been quite quite honest about things. That, right. Uh, exactly. I think we have the
4: same thing here.
2: Yeah. Well, um, there's some other things, very interesting things you pointed out in your article as well. Tech uh, technology demands uh, demand is growing now, but I think, you know, I I, I always think in terms more of um, Jeff. I always think more in terms of. Gold and to a lesser degree uh, silver as monetary assets, monetary metals, and I and I can't believe that technology would drive the demand side for gold very much, would it? Very marginally, probably.
4: No, it it doesn't. You're correct. Now for silver, that that's not necessarily the case. It does drive that market quite a bit because industrial demand for silver has really grown, uh, you know, a lot in the past uh, decade or two. But for gold, what the interesting shift there is that. Technology demand for gold has been down on a net basis for about uh, six years in a row, and now this year in 2017, it's it's actually rising. So you have a rising demand for uh, technological uses of gold. But but yeah, you're right. That's a small thing. But again, it wasn't widely reported, and and. We are Mm -hmm. going to have an issue in the gold and silver market with uh, new supply. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is going to start a long-term decline. I mean, there's virtually no analyst or analyst report out there that says anything otherwise. We're at at least a temporary uh, point of peak gold. Whether it's a long-term peak or not, it remains to be seen. But, But we're at a temporary peak where... New supply coming into the market is going to decline, and it's mm-hmm. not just going to be a one-year decline. It's going to be a medium to a long-year decline, meaning three, five, seven, ten years, uh, and that's because of what's happened to the market, which is a whole other topic uh, in terms of uh, production and supply and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's going to decline, and, and you can't escape the consequences of you know a major decline. Uh, in new supply coming to the market, especially if demand were to really start to pick up again. And, of course, we know from history that demand does pick up in times of crisis. So with all the elevated risks that are out there right now, I I think some type of crisis is inevitable, maybe even a series of crises. That's what Mike Maloney uh, believes. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's going to push demand much higher Right at the time when uh, new supply coming to the market is falling.
2: Certainly, uh, on the mining side, which I'm which I'm more familiar with, um, it's getting harder and harder. All the low all the low hanging fruit's have been picked up, and the, the easy easy to mine gold uh, and silver ounces gets more and more difficult. So, and as the real price of gold uh, doesn't make any headway or it isn't isn't rising, it's going to take a much higher real price of gold, I believe, to bring out. Uh, to to in, increase production, I know in your in your letter you showed a chart uh, showing something like I think 2019 or 2018 being the perceived peak peak gold, and and then it just gently declines. That's I suppose presuming uh, in current prices, but in any event, so the supply side, which I think also is not nearly as important in terms of the gold price as the demand side, because. Most of the gold that's ever been mined is sitting in in banks, uh, in in, uh, vaults, uh, or around people's necks, I suppose, in in the form of jewelry or whatever. But but it is something to be aware of, obviously. If, um, you know, it's getting harder and harder to bring this stuff out of the ground, more and more difficult, costs more and more to do it.
4: And people don't want to sell. Sorry to interrupt you, but most people don't want to sell. If the price is rising, they're going to want to be hoarding, not selling. And so, uh, if if there's any type of new supply crunch, you know, uh, uh, and the price is really rising, you won't see people wanting to sell. And we're not going to tear down the Sistine Chapel, and we're not going to pull out, (laughs) you know, dental fillings and, you know, uh, things like that. So, uh, I, I do think there's a crunch coming at some point if demand uh, rises again like we've seen in the past. If we have any type of crisis like we had in 08 and 09, demand is going to uh, shoot up sharply. And again, that's right about the time that new supply uh, you know, probably won't be able to fill that gap
2: certainly takes a while anyway because it takes a long time to put a mine into production in order to put an old one back into production. So exactly maybe it responds, right. but it takes quite a bit of time. Well, another on getting back to the demand side, another very interesting aspect in your article, government expansions and institutional interest. Uh, you, you mentioned that Kuwait plans to build a $112.5 billion gold city. Talk to us about that.
4: Uh, all I know is what I read in that particular article, but the Ministry of Commerce and Industry uh, said that they want the uh, Kuwaiti government to go ahead and allocate a huge plot of land um, to uh, build what they call a gold city. Uh, it, would call, it would include gold and jewelry. Uh, it's over a 100,000 square meter area. So you can picture how big it would be, and it would be the biggest in the region. So, That was just one more, you know, piece that I saw that, you know, here's another government, and this isn't, these aren't citizens, this is the actual government saying, hey, this is what we want built, um, uh, you know, for gold. So uh, there's just many, many more examples like that of where governments are expanding and wanting to include gold.
2: Yeah, one that you had in your article that I thought was really interesting and apropos to the direction of things internationally and globally uh, is the, the new gold connect exchange between the gold markets of Hong Kong and Shenzhen. I mean, it's, it, that to me is really interesting. Said on the first day, over 900 kilos of gold traded were 300 billion yuan or 38.45 billion U.S. dollars. Wow, that's um, that's that, that's. I mean, is that physical gold that's being traded, or is that paper gold?
4: They they like to trade in physical gold, so that's what to I the thought. Best yeah. of my knowledge, that is physical gold, and of course, that isn't the daily, you know, the daily volume now. That was just on the first day, but yeah. again, that still shows you just how much interest there really was mm-hmm. uh, in that new exchange. So, a, a lot of these things are which is a whole other topic, but a lot of these things are ways that, you know, these countries want to diversify away from the U.S. dollar, and this is just another way that they're doing that. That's a long-term trend that I also think is going to have consequences that will be bullish for gold.
2: All right, Jeff, we only have about three minutes left, so I I want to ask you about the hedge fund guys, Ray Dalio, reportedly buying, uh, scooping up GLD. Of course, that's paper gold. Um, Hedge funds in in general have not been buyers, have been buying other things, but coming back now. So I think your your points are well taken. Uh, speaking of Ray Dalio though and hedge funds, there's a lot of hedge fund guys that are trying to get into bit gold or Bitcoin, I should say. Uh, and I know that gold money has set up an establishment, a, a way to try to they're actually trying to marry the two to bring in the uh, bit gold, uh, I'm sorry, the Bitcoin people in under their roof so they can buy gold and so forth. But what are your thoughts, your your thoughts at, at gold, silver for... Uh On Bitcoin, for example, I mean, it it doesn't have any intrinsic value, but it is limited in supply. So talk to us, what are your thoughts about Bitcoin?
4: Uh, Just real quick, I I think, you know, the technology is here to stay. It's going to continue to evolve. It's going to improve. Um, It has, you know, Bitcoin has a lot of similarities with gold, so I understand why some gold bugs are excited about it. But there's a lot of issues with it still that... I, I'm not personally buying Bitcoin at this level. And in full disclosure, Mike has indicated he's been selling his Bitcoin because mm-hmm. of the price and how high it is, and buying uh, gold and silver with it, which are undervalued. Um, you know, cryptos rely on the internet, and uh, there were 116 internet shutdowns in uh, the past two years globally. Um, I was at the Silver Summit, and it was reported that one third. And I had to ask somebody if this was correct, because it was almost hard to believe that one-third of all Bitcoin are either missing or stolen since creation.
5: Wow.
4: Oh. <laughs> According to, all right. you know, uh, Bitcoin's now four times as expensive as dot-com stocks at their height. There's a whole list of things here I could go through, but in my opinion, the biggest risk uh, for Bitcoin is some type of regulation or government intervention. I personally think that's inevitable. Both the EU and UK announced just yesterday they're cracking down on cryptos. Uh, Jim Rickards at the Silver Summit made a big point about the IRS gearing up for a big tax campaign against crypto yeah. holders because right. very few have reported any gains. Um, Jeff, we'll
2: have to leave it go at that. I, I want to ask you very quickly, though, how can people follow your work? Can they go to goldsilver.com or what?
4: Yeah, goldsilver.com, and there's a tab up there for the blog, and, and that's where all of my writings appear. And And I just want to mention real quick that Mike Maloney does have his a, a new episode of Hidden Secrets of Money coming out. Your audience is one of the first to hear about it. It will be out uh, later this month. And ironically, it is about his journey in the crypto market.
2: Um, Excellent. All right. Well, I would uh, strongly sub- suggest that my listeners, they go there and, and catch up with all the goodies that are there at goldsilver.com. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being with us today. We are out of time. We'll have to do it again sometime. Folks, that's it for this week. Next week, Charles Hugh Smith will be with me. Uh, Robert Carrington of New Range Gold and hopefully Michael Oliver will be back. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
1: Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor.